The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning. Good welcome morning. To, welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Nancy. And I'm Shannon. And, and you've I'm got so your Valentine's red on today, I see. I've been wearing red all week, as much as I could possibly muster. Great. Uh, this is my sparkly red. It doesn't look yes. that fancy on, on camera, but it's my sparkly red shirt. No, it looks very fancy, very sparkly. But I'm glad you brought up Valentine's because I wanted to say happy Valentine's to you. You know, I was saying yesterday that the, I don't know, the world tries to make this a romantic holiday. And I say pshaw to that. I think that Valentine's Day is about love and that love comes in many different shapes, sizes and, and varieties. And I think it's a wonderful day to celebrate self-love. Yes. I think it's a great day to celebrate love for all the people who are meaningful to us in our lives. And so I, I just want to say happy Valentine's Day to you, Nancy. I love you. We've been friends now for al almost 10 years. Wow. Which is amazing, right? Wow. And that, and I just appreciate that, you know, there have been many blessings that have come to me in the last 10 years, and you certainly have been a big one and getting to know you and your family I'm forever changed for it. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate you. Oh, thank you, Shannon. And I feel the same way about you. I, you're a blessing in my life. Well, I, it's just such a privilege to be here with you and to be with these wonderful people that are tuning in right now. I want to remind everybody that we're live for the next hour. You've got a great guest coming up for you after we do in the news. And um, we're live on, well, I, on the big four, I refer to them as... Uh, YouTube, Twitter, Periscope, and uh, Facebook Live. Mm -hmm. And and you can participate right now. In fact, we're saying good morning to Ivani and we're saying good morning to KK. We're going to answer your question in just a minute because our expert's going to be talking about exactly what your question is. Um, so, uh, but we welcome everybody that's on those big four that are watching, but we are also live on a bunch more platforms uh, because Traven, our producer, is so amazing. We want to spread some Valentine love on him. Uh, and, and you can see, I don't even know what D-Live D is, but I'm glad we're there live. And I hope that if you're watching, you want to participate and write into us. Now, if you're watching us recorded you in, as we podcast to different podcast servers, we're pretty much anywhere that you can find a podcast that, and we are a free download on all of those places. That's one of the requirements that we have. So take a look at some of the places that um, Traven is showing you. But if you like podcasts, go to your podcast, the place where you get your podcast and look for Autism Live. If you don't see us, please alert us immediately because we, we want to be there. But we think that we're in, in pretty much all of them. So prove me wrong. Let us know what we're missing out on. Uh, and we appreciate you writing in. If you're watching in podcasts, you can still participate. You go to autism-live.com and write in uh, where it says chat, and then we're able to see that. It's not in real time that we're able to see it, but we're able to see it later on. We also have a Facebook page. We love it when you guys like us, review us, follow us, share us. We appreciate all of that. Um, so uh, we've, we've got some news to cover today. And then a little bit later, we're going to have Vince Redman, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's going to be joining us. He's a regular here on the show. 
We absolutely adore him. And uh, we asked him today, because last week, we were thinking we had him last week, and last, last week the topic of the week was levels of friendship. Because I don't know about you, Nancy, but I really didn't understand this until they were teaching it to my son on the autism spectrum. Um, that, that I never really thought about the fact that you have different levels of friendship and there are different rules under different levels of friendship and that, and that it's kind of fluid, that somebody can be in one level of friendship and something can happen and they get moved to a different one. So Vince is gonna be with us in just a little while to talk about um, how we teach that to kids on the spectrum, but how we live and model that as people in our children's lives. And, and anybody who's an adult, whether you have a child or not, this is really important stuff. I struggle with this, Nancy. Do you struggle with this? With understanding the different levels? Well, and, you know, and the emotions that come with it. I, I remember very distinctly when my son was in second grade, there was a little boy who my son just loved and he followed around everywhere and he was like, I'm Michael's friend and I want to be Michael's friend. But then I would get these reports from his aide that Michael had hit him, that Michael had kicked him. And I was like, what is happening? And then finally the report came home from the aides that said that Michael chased him down on the playground, took the little ties to his hood, because it was this type of weather, and pulled them tight and then wrapped them around his neck and was choking him with them by the time the aide caught up. Right. And so they had to sit my son down and say to him, okay, you know, if, if a friend is hurting you, your first step is that you have to say, you know, somehow communicate to them, stop, you're hurting me. Because sometimes the friend doesn't know that they're hurting you. So you need to be clear and you need to say to them, stop, you're hurting me. And if you've been clear and said, stop, you're hurting me to your friend and they continue doing what, what you just said was hurting you, then they're not your friend. And I remember them teaching this to my son and I was like, I don't think I live that. I don't think that I apply that to people in my life that, you know, that I'm clear when somebody's doing something that's hurting me and say, you know, you're doing this and it's hurting me. And I for sure don't realize, oh, that's not my friend when they keep doing it. I sit there and go, why do they keep doing that? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And it was very, I mean, I was in my 40s at that point, and it was very eye-opening to me because that had I, nobody had ever taught me that. Is that something that you were walking through your life and knew, Nancy? No, I didn't know it. Um, and Wyatt used to be drawn to the to the bullies at school. He yeah. wanted so badly to interact with them that he would what we call silly talk, talk nonsense to them and risk being made fun of. But he wanted to engage with them, and so at his school, they had what was called red flag people. Mm -hmm. And there was one boy in particular that was a red flag that Wyatt was supposed to avoid, but Wyatt's, it was like a moth to a flame. He was yeah. drawn down. Yeah, well, and KK has, has, I think, hit the nail on the head here. KK said, hi, what should I do if someone makes fun of my disability as a boyfriend, but I still wanna be with them? how to stop the bullying. And I think that this is what's key. When, when I heard the therapist saying to my son, uh, you know, if you say stop, you're hurting me and they continue doing it, that they're, they're not your friend. A and you need to be aware of that, but that doesn't stop the desire to want them to want to be your friend. That that's the next layer of it. And that when we realize, okay, that person is hurting me, but I still, I still want them to be nice to me even though I'm realizing that is not what's on their agenda, it doesn't automatically make those feelings go away. So Vince is going to talk with us right, about all right. this and help us to get our heads on straight because this is hard stuff. Yeah. This yes, is, yes, you know, yes. this is really, really hard stuff. Hard for our kiddos, but I think hard for adults uh, yeah, on yeah. and off the spectrum. It's like shades of gray, but this levels of friendship, I think helps give us a clearer picture. And Vince is going to talk with us about that. But shall we launch into our news first? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. okay. Our first, our first. You got, yeah, it? got it? No, no, you go ahead. Okay. The first story is exciting news that Harvard researches, researchers have unveiled a new technology to investigate autism. And Shannon, this is uh, a pretty dense article. 
I don't know whether you can untangle the yeah. way that this technology works. Well, it's funny because the thing that I was starting to say was our first story is pretty dense. Yes. <laughs> that, was, that was exactly the wording uh, that I was going to give. And I read this last night and you know me, I just barely get a gripster on it. It's like watching a Christopher Nolan movie. Like right. I sort of understand it and then it slips away from me and then I sort of understand it and then it slips away from me again. I think what the takeaway is, is that there, it sounds like to me what they're doing is reverse engineering and going, look, we know that something happens genetically with autism. We know that there's a mutation. We know that there's a cascade of events that lead to autism. So what if we work backwards and take the cascade and try to follow it back to a gene expression and, and to see what happens and then, and then move it forward again and say, if we, we know all these genes now, but if we take a gene and if we mutate it, let's see what it cascades into. So you're looking at it forward and backward. That's what I got from it. And that they see that this is being very effective in mouse models, that they're seeing how just changing one gene has a cascade that creates one thing and that another gene cascades to present a different outcome. And so from this, they're extrapolating that not only are they going to potentially find answers to autism, but they are also hopeful that they're going to find answers to cancer, autoimmune disease, and other genetic diseases. Uh -huh. this, this excites me because wouldn't it be like the sweetest thing ever if autism research led to cures for other things like cancer? Yes, it would. Be just like an amazing thing for us to look yeah. back and go, look how we got here. Exactly. But, it, but in fact, what they're hoping to find is uh, what what the gene is that cascades to the more disabling aspects of autism, because then maybe there's a way that they can treat it and prevent the more disabling aspects of autism. Right, right. So exciting. Yeah, I think you're, that's a pretty good description, Shannon, that helps me put it in simplistic terms. You don't think the people at Harvard and MIT are breaking out into hives? It might oh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I think. Yeah, so exciting, exciting news. So we'll have to keep following that. Yes. And the next story we have is about um, another study that's been done um, that uh, youth with autism see a sharp decline in physical activity between the ages of nine and 13 compared with neurotypical kids. Yeah. And I don't know about you, you know how I always say on the show, sometimes they'll bring up research and I go, well, that's a big duh. Right. Like, I think we could have guessed this, but I, but I do appreciate now after all these years, um, what this kind of research amounts to, like how it helps to change the world. Because you can say to a parent, listen, I, you know, we've looked at a lot of kids on the autism spectrum and we see that, you know, if you do early intervention and then you get to a certain age and your kid is going to become sedentary because they're going to get really drawn into video games. So you really got to be mindful between this age and this age and get them moving and, you know, let them play their video games, but every once in a while take a break and like really program it in um, because it's going to help them with anxiety. It's going to help them with self-regulation and it's going to help them to, you know, build core strength, which leads to all these other things, right? We can say that to parents all the time, but, you know, it's, it's a little bit more robust, I think, if that's the right word to use, when we hear, oh, a study has shown that, yes, across the board, these kids get less and that this is part of what separates them in these ages of development and we really have to stem the tide of it. I just think it adds some more credence to it. What do you think? Yes, um, it adds more credence and they're saying, they're kind of pinpointing that it's between the ages of nine and 13. Um, so we know when to kind of be aware that that's when the level of activity starts to drop. And compared to neurotypical kids, they did far less uh, activity. So, um, at 13, youth with autism reported only one or two days of moderate to vigorous physical activity um, compared with nine or more days with neurotypical kids. So that's quite a difference. 
And, and help me if I'm wrong on this, because you're somebody, Nancy, who has always, you know, you're you're an athlete. You you've run marathons. You've been somebody who competitively jumped horses. I mean, you're, right. you're an amazing horsewoman. I think you are have had an understanding of your body and have always been big on exercising. You hike on a regular basis still. Um, And I know you have said to me that if you don't get an opportunity to move your body, that your life doesn't work as well. No, it doesn't. It, I mean, it clears my brain. And I think for our kids on the spectrum, it's really important um, because it, what it does is those endorphins that get released when you exercise um, you know, it's a really great way to beat stress. And our, let's face it, our kids have a lot of stress and anxiety. Yeah. And I'm not somebody who's an athlete. Uh, you know, I, I've had periods of time where I exercised. Was that Wyatt that just went by? I didn't see. No, it was John, his age. Oh. Hello, John. Um, but I, I'm not somebody who's particularly good at that kind of stuff. And so, hi, John. Uh, we need to have you sign a release. <laughs> but anyway... I, you know, I have periods of time in my life where I'll get on an exercise kick and I'll be doing something like swimming or, you know, dance aerobics I really love. And then I don't stick to it, you know? Um, but I have really seen in COVID that it's, I mean, it's really forced me to hone in and look and and we put a treadmill in the living room because if I don't get on that treadmill on a regular basis, my fibromyalgia acts up my thinking becomes really circuitous. Uh Uh I have more anxiety, like free floating anxiety. And I find if I just do even a small amount on the treadmill, like not crazy, I'm not running any marathons, um, but a small amount on the treadmill helps me to focus. I have seen that it helps everybody in my household, including my son. And, And I keep thinking about Temple Grandin saying that, you know, she had to be on medication for anxiety for a lot of years, but then she discovered that if every day she did a burst of activity, not even like, you know, exercise for a half an hour, but if there was like a three minute period of time where she got breathless, just, and she said, I can, I do it in a hotel. I can do jumping jacks. I can do, you know, squat thrusts, different things, but if a burst of activity to get me winded, that that keeps her regulated. Uh-huh. And I just, I, I, when you think about all the hormonal changes that are going through a nine to a 13 year old's body, um, I just think it, it really becomes important for us to recognize this research and make a concerted effort that between those ages to up the exercise level. Yeah. And Shannon, um, they, they said that the decline continues through the teenage years at 17 to 18, most adolescents with autism participated in zero days of physical activity compared to six to eight days among youth without autism. That's a statistically a big difference. And it, it shows you that between the ages of nine and 13, we first see that drop off and that becomes a habit, unfortunately. Whereas if you exercise regularly, that becomes a habit. And, I, and I'm sure, and this is maybe something we can ask because we have people come on every month to talk about research and maybe we'll put it in their hopper to talk about the research showing physical ex, uh, exercise and how that correlates to uh, depression right. and anxiety, because right. I really feel like there is a correlation there. Hey, we're saying hi to Jordan, who's watching and finding this a helpful discussion. Jordan, we're so glad that you're here with us. Um, I just wanted to say hello. And I didn't say hello to Nasser or Amanda, so we're saying hi to them as well. Remind everybody you can write in the chat. Yes? I also wondered on this particular study, whether kids with autism don't take part in school athletics as much as neurotypical kids. And my hunch is that they don't. Yeah, I think you're probably right, Nancy. And I, I, you know, I was talking to somebody recently, I'm always reminded, you know, we do our jargon of the day, Mondays and Thursdays here on the show, but I'm always reminded of, of the fact that I've gone to the dark side and I just throw jargon terms out and forget that everybody, and I was talking about APE the other day and I was like, APE this and APE this to somebody. And they were like, what are you talking about? And I said, oh, APE stands for adaptive physical education. And, you know, if your child has an IEP, you can request that they get an evaluation to see if they qualify for APE. And and I, and then another person was saying, oh, you know, my child gets um, APE, but another person said, my child um, gets both APE and the, resi- other, the regular phys ed. 
They do both of them. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. And then it became this conversation about, wait a second, there were people who were like, my child isn't participating at all. So it just reminds me how important it is, A, that we talk to our support groups and that we talk about what are we getting and what's appropriate, although it's going to be different for every individual, but our kids need to move. That's the bottom line. Our kids need to move and they need a lot of exercise. The more that they are physically moving their body, we know, for instance, that that activities that cross the midline, so things like playing tennis um, or a ping pong or something like that, or even just touching your toes with the opposite hand, that kids across the board, on the spectrum and not on the spectrum, test higher cognitively after doing crossing the midline activities. Uh-huh. And if you want to know more about that, um, you know, I encourage people to go to Pinterest. We have a board on Pinterest for Autism Live and we have different categories. And one of them is just crossing the midline exercises. And they have games you can play with your kiddos to cross the midline. So um, all of this we know is connected mind, body, right? Um, so the body's, the body's got to move. And especially during this time when so many of our kids are virtual learning, it's important to build in physical activities in in their schedule during the day. Yes. Used to be that we would give our kids a break and let them have technology. Like, you know, okay, you can have your phone or your iPad for 10 minutes because you're on a break, right? Uh, At least that was what we did. And now it's got to be the exact opposite. You've been on the computer for half an hour, 40 minutes, an hour. I hope not longer than that. Now, you know, it's a break in the school thing. It's not the time to sit down and play on your phone or your iPad. It's time to get up and run, you know, like let's play chase around the house. Put one kid in the laundry basket and have laundry basket races so that they blow their yayas out so that they can come back to the screen. You can have a break for technology, you know, like way later, right before dinner or something. But you got to, the if you're doing distance learning, you got to take the breaks and make them physical. Do it with your kids. Let's all get in better shape. Uh, yeah, right. right. Uh, okay, so I'm glad that we talked about that. We have one more story that is a heart. Yeah, a really sad story. Um, a Tennessee mom is begging for a miracle after her son, who is a well-known autism advocate for anti-bullying and autism awareness, was in a car accident. It actually, not I don't know if it was a car accident. I think he fell. Fell and from a is, from a from a truck. He fell. Right, and he's in a medically induced coma. Um, Chris Miller, and they he's better known as Captain Spectrum, right, Shannon? Yes, and this is heartbreaking to all of us. Um, I know that yesterday the update was, um, just bless this mom's heart. The update was doctors were saying that they weren't getting any brain waves upon scan and they were prepared to declare him brain dead. And mom said, yeah. no, wait, because he's, he still has, um, medicines in his body from the medically induced coma. You've got to let that clear before you can test him again, before you can declare him brain dead. But we want to tell people that this family, if you're of the praying ilk, if that's something you do, like, please include this family in your prayers. This is, this is just devastating um, to hear this story. They also have a uh, Facebook site that um, people can go to, and I had it up and now I don't. Um, but there is a Facebook site that you can go to, um, where you can get updates about him. And there's also a place where if you'd like to make a donation to the family for his care and because his, his mother, and I believe his aunt have, have moved to be closer to the hospital. I can tell you because I have a family member in the hospital who's been in the hospital and, you know, this, this pandemic is, is so devastating in so many ways. And I know that many of you have family members that are ill or you've lost family members. But I also want to say that having a family member who is does not have COVID, but is sick during this time and in the hospital, is it's just horrifying because you can't go see them. You can't provide the mental support. Imagine for a moment, you guys, that this is your child and that they're in a medically induced coma and you're not able to just sit by their bedside the whole day. 
uh, what this must be like for the family. But we do want to tell people that, so the website is, or uh, the Facebook site is Prayers for Christopher Ryan Hall Miller. And if you go there, there is a place there where if you'd like to make a donation of any size that you can, again, that is Prayers for Christopher Ryan Hall Miller. Um, and, and you can give your loving thoughts or you can, we have a thing that says starting at $1.99, that's a GoDaddy ad that has nothing to do with anything, disregard that. But um, there is a place if you, you can make a donation of any size uh, to Christopher and his family. We are sending them love and prayers and hoping that for the very best for this young man um, and that he is able to come out of this. Um, Devastating though, right, Nancy? Okay, so I think, uh, do we have Vince yet? We do. Vince has just uh, just arrived. We're so thrilled that you're there, Vince. Uh, this is Vince Redmond. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he's joining Nancy and I. He joins us regularly once a month to be here with us to talk about uh, different topics. And today we asked Vince to talk about levels of friendship how we teach this to our kids, uh, why it's important that we teach this to our kids, and how we learn and model this ourselves. Now, Vince, we had a question that came in that I think goes directly to this. Okay. Kate wants to know, hi, what should I do if someone makes fun of my disability as a boyfriend, but I still want to be with them? How do we stop the bullying? And I think this goes right to the heart of why this is so hard, because we can understand, like we have a relationship with somebody and we've already defined it. This is my friend or this is my boyfriend. And then they do something that is, you know, making fun of the disability is not appropriate, right? Um, and, and how do we then take that and translate into, is this the person that should be in my life? How do we communicate that? How do we decide when it's time to let go of somebody? Because I think we all have people in our lives that are, you know, not always our best, not always the best to be a friend to us, right? Right, right. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. Welcome, Ben. Welcome. You and to everyone. Uh, now my head's spinning. There's like eight questions there. Um, yes. I, I think that when we're looking at friendships, let's always kind of backpedal a little bit to. Um, oftentimes, you know, individuals on the spectrum, so children to teens to young adults, have difficulties understanding social communication, social nuances, social skills in general. So we want to see every situation differently, right? So given the situation that's met the message about bullying and, and making fun of, I'm not sure if it was from someone in the relationship or someone outside the relationship making fun of a it's a boyfriend yeah it's yeah. a boyfriend making fun of the girlfriend right right correct? and she wants okay. to stay in the relationship but wants mm -hmm. to know how to handle this issue of him making fun of her disability right so the first thing is is let's make sure that everyone's understanding of what's going on so my first my first recommendation would be for the girlfriend to have a sit down with the boyfriend and say what did you mean when you said whatever, right? Or what did you, what, what was meant by this action? So then this way, the boyfriend has the opportunity to, he's gonna do one of two things. He's gonna explain, maybe it was a misunderstanding and explain what he meant in a, in a low stress environment where he's able to articulate what he means. Or two, he's going to realize he's not being appropriate. He's not being, careful, you know, and, and thoughtful and, and, and compassionate. And that gives them the opportunity to apologize and say, you know, I, I, I was a jerk. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. And now we can have a conversation on how that hurts her um, by hearing that from someone that's, that's, you know, uh, one of the most closest people to her. Right. And how she felt that that was a violation of their relationship. So I think the first thing to make sure is to let's sit down and make sure that the way we're feeling and the way we're interpreting things is what was meant by 
the speaker. And then if it was, then that speaker or the boyfriend in this situation has the opportunity to realize he was being a jerk and he needs to, he needs to make up for that. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, both of these aspects are really important and Nancy jump in wherever you want to, but I, you know, I think sometimes we forget that communication piece that it is important to go back and go, okay, so for instance, like you said, what did you mean? Uh, I have, I have a friend who I love that when something happens, like, you know, sometimes you're with a bunch of people and there's like something needly gets said and her express expression is she goes, what just happened? <laughs> it's like this crazy, what, what just happened? And she, while everybody's still standing there, what just happened? And then, you know, sometimes somebody will go, what do you mean? And she'll go, well, you know, that thing that you just said, what, what was that? And, and then it's all out in the open. Right. And then the person has an opportunity to say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm crabby. And that was inappropriate. I should not have said that. Uh, like it really raises the level of the conversation and I think raises the level of the friendships. Uh, sometimes though, we just assume, well, that person is hurting me and wanting to hurt me. And then we start to shut down and then the, the relationship starts to deteriorate. So that communication piece is important. But Vince, what about when you communicate to somebody and they double down on their, that they're like, well, it's, I get to say what I want to say. And if it hurts your feelings, that's just, that's just your problem. Mm -hmm. And those are people we don't want to be around, right? If people are going to be mean to you, regardless of who they are, these aren't people we want in our lives. So if someone's doubling down and saying, well, I'm just a jerk and I'm going to be mean to you, take it or leave it, leave it. But I think that is one of the hardest lessons. And I don't know if it's hard for men and women, but I think most of the women I know this is really hard. Is that like sometimes if we like the person, um, we don't want to know. We don't want to like, it's almost like we don't want to communicate to say, hey, I need for you to stop doing that for them because then they keep doing it. And then it's like, we're 100% sure they're not into us. It's that like that book, he's just not into you. Mm -hmm. Nancy, what do you, have you experienced this in your life where it's like you like the person and you just keep wanting it to get better, um, but they're showing all the signs that they are, they're not treating you well? Yeah. Um, I think sometimes it's difficult, um, as you say, particularly, particularly for women to give up uh, and, you know, take the social cues and the other cues that um, this person doesn't want to have a relationship with you. Um, and oftentimes, like I was saying with Wyatt, with that particular bully, he seemed to be almost more attracted and try harder to get the attention and get the relationship into, you know, foster a relationship. And I think I personally have been guilty of that in my life. Earlier, Vince, we talked just briefly about this. And I said that when Jem was little and, and the therapist, there was a kid who was bullying him on the playground and the therapist said, Okay, we're going to work on levels of friendship. And he explained, you know, that you have a best friend and then you have friends and you have acquaintances and you have people you don't know. And, and you have, you know, first responders who are people you don't know, but you have different rules with them that you can go up and tell them things. And so they, they explained all this to him to the point where he got it. And then they said to him, so when a friend is hurting you, that you have to convey to them, you're hurting me, please stop. Yes. And then if that person continues to do it, then you have to understand that person is not your friend. And it's almost like picking them up out of that category and deciding, okay, which category do they go in? Do they go into acquaintance? Which means that we still speak to them, but we no longer trust them with our deepest things. And when they were explaining this to him, it was like somebody had pulled back the curtains and I went, oh, I don't think I'm doing this in my life. <laughs> I don't think that I'm, I should, like, I have people, oh, goodness, oh, goodness me. Um, it was so eye-opening to me. Um, but, but so for, and, and I, and then I go, oh, okay, I know this now, but for this young woman who's saying, I really like this guy, I want to stay in a relationship with him, but it's making me feel bad that, that he is making fun of my disability. I love you saying, you know, you got to sit down and make it clear. Um, but the bad news is if that once you've made it clear, if that person persists in doing it, then you got to take another look at it, right? Right. right. And this all comes from your own desire 
to want to be liked and our desire to want to be accepted. This is everybody, right? Individuals on the spectrum, individuals on the spectrum. We all have a very, a very deep desire to be accepted and to be liked. And I think a lot of times we stay in these relationships because we feel that if we do something different, if we do something more, or we do something greater, then we will be accepted and liked. Um, and we stay in these relationships because we, we want that attention and we want that affirmation. The problem is, is if it's, now again, there are in every relationship, there's times where we have to be vocal and there's times we're gonna get hurt, but we know when someone's continuing to do it all the time versus having good conversations. You heard someone, we sit down and we talk, what did you mean by that? what was said you know when you break it down and either the speaker or the boyfriend in this situation accepts responsibility and says hey i was a jerk it was a bad day i very much apologize or he says well you know well if you get a lot of well you know that's just the way i am then this isn't someone who's going to accept you this is not someone who's going to give you positive attention this is someone who wants to be chased this is someone who wants you to chase after them and this isn't healthy for us. So I think so we have to look at that desire for attention. And like we said, if we're looking at circle of friends, we look within the circle of people we already know we can trust. We already know that will give us good attention and let's spend more attention with them. It could be family, it could be you know certain friends, neighbors, people in Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, you know, and so forth. And then we get to this person now moves to the outer layer which is now, um, you know, acquaintances and people that we know, and that's okay. People we know, we know lots of people that are just people that we know, but yet we don't get as hurt by them because we're not trying to give them. Sorry, my. They're very uh, sought after gentlemen. <laughs> well, I thought it would stop after three rings, but you know, by the seventh ring, it's not stopping. Um, so we want to make sure that. We increase the people in our inner rings of circle of friends. Now, if someone has to be, you know, so-and-so, you know, ejected out of that realm and move into an acquaintance one, that's okay. And, and hurt is okay, right? Hurt is a natural feeling. And I think some of the learning we have to do with, with individuals on the spectrum is teaching them that hurting is okay. It hurts, it's uncomfortable, we don't like it, and we try to avoid it, but for the greater good, it's okay. It's a very natural response because we cared for someone. We put effort, resource, time into someone. We liked being liked, right? But we want to make sure this is someone who's going to give us back, you know, just as much as we're giving to them. And if they're not, then we have to look at, you know, moving them outside of our, our uh, close circle of friends. So Jordan has written in and said a very interesting point here. Sometimes that friend just doesn't know how to behave. Sometimes I think it's just my lesson to look at it in a different perspective if you think he has some good intentions. Right. And I think that that's a really important point, especially when people are young or when people are having difficulty with something. We don't just throw people away. Um, but we try to teach them, hey, we're in this friendship together and, and we do need to take their perspective and taking it. But for me, this comes down to boundaries, Vince. Like, when is it too much? Right. And, and again, I don't want to, in, in any way, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because as I'm thinking, I want to make sure everyone understands. I'm not saying let's abort relationships right away. The first time someone says something that they, that was mean or, those, you know, says something that, that hurt our feelings by all means no we do want to get to know that person better we want to have multiple conversations of sitting down and saying you know am i understanding this correctly what are you trying to say what did you mean by that even if it's um you know happening on a regular basis sit down communicate because that's how we have more information that's how we will know if someone's intentions as jordan is saying are, are pure and good and we're just misinterpreting it or they're good and they're just having a hard time right now because of you know x y and z reasons right it could be the pandemic or job or their own family or whatever right they might be having some problems so they're having a hard time 
giving me what I want. But at least now we understand and we're able to respect that and hold those boundaries. We'll be able to say, okay, I respect you in the situation you're in now. So I'm going to support you right now and, and help you through that. And then you can help me through my thing. And we, you know, we establish boundaries like that. But when there is no good intentions that come out and we continue to feel over time that my feelings continually get hurt, where I continually, you know, um, am feeling sad and not fulfilled in the relationship. It's at that time we have to we have to look at is this relationship healthy or is it harmful? Yeah, I I know I have some friends who are adults on the autism spectrum that are just sometimes painfully honest, mm-hmm. and they and and you know. I, I would say that there are times when I've had the opportunity to uh, get my feelings hurt by their, by their being honest. But I think in, in getting to know them, I realized that they were coming from a pure place of not wanting to hurt my feelings, that the intent was in, in no way to hurt my feelings any more than, I always laugh, I went to visit one of our centers and I was there very early in the morning and I don't think I had all my makeup on that morning, but you know, the little kids, they'll come up to you. This is pre COVID and twice within an hour, um, one little kid came up to me and I was saying, hello, good morning. And he looked at me and he said, you're old. right?" (laughs) And I immediately cracked up and the person was like, Oh, we don't say that. And I, and I said to them, oh, it's, it's fine. I, like, I am old. It's okay. And, um, like, and I said, yes. I, and, and, and he said to me, you look like my grandma. And I said, oh, your grandma must be beautiful, right? And I didn't take any offense to it, right? Because I knew it was coming from a place of pure love, and it just is. And there's no way to take offense from that. Um, then the next child came up to me and said, you're fat. <laughs> and, and it was like, well, but I have learned to uh, look at that in a different perspective and to enjoy my friends who are on the spectrum because I know they're not going to say something to me just, you know, to make me feel better. Yes, they're they're brutally honest. Children are brutally honest as well. And uh, a lot of individuals on the spectrum uh, will, they don't have that filter necessarily. Yeah, it's, and it's those social norms we I talked about, right? They don't understand yeah. the social norms, right? Like you were alluding to, Nancy. They don't know the game, right? They don't know the you, you say these things to make them feel good, even if you don't feel it's true, right? I mean, you white lies and and kind of the the, the social um, appropriate responses that we give, right? You don't talk about age, you know. There's like off you know there's a off-limit conversation you don't talk about age you don't talk about weight you know our kids and in, in, in individuals on the spectrum don't understand that and again like you said it's genuine they're coming they're not trying to hurt you right where we where we might feel that we're being hurt they're just labeling or they're just noticing or they're just you know uh, uh saying something like again like you were saying maybe they don't like your blouse and they don't want you to wear that because maybe other people think it's ugly. So they're being nice by saying, that's an ugly glass. You shouldn't wear that. Yeah, that would be very harm, hurtful for us. Yes. But in their mind, it's like, she shouldn't wear that because other people might not like her. Right? So, so I do think that intentions, yeah, I, I'm sorry, Vince, I cut you off. But I do think that intentions are important yeah. and knowing where the person is coming from. And, and I don't know, you know, for both of you, but I have friends that I know that are good friends, but I know that like one friend is not in crisis. Like they're just not the person I would lean into for a crisis, but they're, they're really good at other things. And I love them and adore them, but I accept the fact that they're not good in a crisis. And when I'm in a crisis, I don't go to them and go, Hey, I need your help because I know that they get shut down. I don't think we're talking about those kinds of things. I, I think that, you know, we need to accept people for who and what they are. But if somebody is, it's just like that Annie Lennox song, you know, it, it, where she says walking on broken glass, there's a line in it when she says, because if you really want to hurt me, then there's nothing left to lose. And if somebody really wants to hurt you, if they understand that hurts you, and then they go, well, I want to do that because it hurts you. Then we get into boundary land. I yes. think. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's and that's exactly what we're trying to determine in all relationships is who genuinely wants to be with you and, and have the intent to be a good friend, a good uh, a lover, a good spouse, a good boyfriend and girlfriend. And then those who are there to hurt you for their own personal need or their own personal gain. There's lots of people out there, and I hate to say it, that get positively reinforced by hurting others. Now, it's absolutely terrible. I can go into you know psychological reasons why they do that, but those are the people we want. We don't want in our lives. Those are the people we want to make sure we have a very solid boundary that they're on the other side dealing with their own stuff, not hurting us for their own need. Because you're right, our biggest weakness is if we continue to let people in that are hurting us, you know, with no intention of loving us. So right. this, I'm sorry, you talk, Nancy, because I'm hot well, on the time. Vince, it's important to teach our kids social cues that let them, that make them aware of the, vari the various types of relationships and friendships. So they know when, you know, they get a block like that, that they avoid those types of relationships. Right. And, and again, all the different levels, right? We're talking from, or the ages, we're talking from your, your youngest two, three, four-year-olds up to your teen. So it's going to be a little bit socially different in each developmental stage, but absolutely. And this is, this is an ongoing lesson. This isn't something that you teach at uh, elementary school and we leave it be, right? This is something that as parents and clinicians, we want to continue to teach them as social uh, relationships become more complex. As they move on and move up, we have to reteach what are we looking for in the friendship? What are we looking for in an intimate relationship, right? If we're looking at early kids, we're, we're talking about kids that share, kids that enjoy the same thing, kids that play without being mean, kids that include rather than exclude, right? And, and we're looking at those different facets. When we move into teenagers, young adults, now we're getting into more of those nuances of what they say, how they say it, um, you know, um, how, you know, are they genuinely interested in the things that you are? Do they listen to your interests and opinions, or is it all about the things that they're interested in and things like that? So this, you know, this concept, and I'm glad, you know, that, that you guys have brought this up is something that's an ongoing, uh, uh, relationship or an ongoing, uh, training, learning experience for individuals on the spectrum, because our social relationships change, are constantly changing. They're constantly getting more complex. Even now, when we go from young adults to middle age, our middle age relationships are different than they were when we were in our 20s, right? They're more mature and more understanding. And that will change again as we move into our later years. So this isn't something that is learned one time it's not something that's just learned it's an ongoing learning experience and us as parents and clinicians have to remember that we have to remember that this is something that we want to continually support um our friends on the spectrum well i want to go one more than that vince because i think you know i get an opportunity to talk to a lot as you do to a lot of caregivers uh parents of individuals on the spectrum and other people they're not all parents but they're caregivers and I think, and Nancy, you can attest to this too. I think we go through this just as much. And when we have a child who's on the autism spectrum, sometimes it puts some of our friendships a little bit in a rocky place that I am not friends with all the people that I, that I came into this journey with. Cause some of them, like it, it just didn't jive. Like there were people who did, who had a really hard time with what my new life looked like that was centered around my son's treatment. And they had opinions about that and things that they wanted me to do instead of that, that involved things for them. And they really couldn't accept it. And I, and some of them were family members, some of them were friends. And I hear this from caregivers all the time. Nancy, are you friends with some, some friends I retained and I cherish them, but some friends went by the wayside. Yeah. Yeah, some yeah, friendships did not uh, develop and mature in the ways that others did. And uh, you, I couldn't be as honest with some of those people. 
yeah, it's almost like some friends that were like really good friends kind of got moved to another level because it right. was like, I really can't share what I'm going through with you because it's not like, and no, through no fault of theirs, but they just weren't in a place to like hear it and be supportive. Right. Um, for whatever reasons, not right. necessarily, you know, anything bad, but you know, I had one friend who could not, would not accept that my child had a diagnosis. Right. He just right. couldn't. And, and listen, I know that what it was, was that he did not want that for me. Uh-huh. In the fairy tale in his head, he was like, no, you finally got to be a mom. You don't have a child on the autism spectrum. But it was painful to be around him because he would disavow absolutely everything that we were doing. And he would go, you need to stop that. You know, he doesn't have autism. He's fine. And then he would treat my child in a way that was not appropriate. <laughs> and we would, you know, like he would make fun of something that he didn't understand. And we would go, over here, let's talk about this. Don't do that. And he would he'd be like, no, you just got to toughen him. You know, it didn't work. It didn't last. We were done. Um, and so and I think they don't have that bandwidth, right? They don't, they don't have that bandwidth to understand the depth of what we as parents go through, right? In, the, in that you guys go through with having a child on the spectrum. It's not someone, something that anyone can really understand unless they're in it. And sometimes they just, like you said, they don't want to hear the bad. They don't want to hear the ugly. They don't want to hear the, 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 the struggle and the strive that needs to be done. They want to live in the Pollyannic, it'll be fine. And I think that's for their own need. I think that's for their own anxiety. It makes them feel better because like you said, if it's coming from a good place, they, they don't want you to suffer. So they're trying to just kind of keep it positive, but that actually, as you're mentioning, can be more damaging than good. Yeah. And it's, and it, it's coming from a place like, I know, I know they didn't mean any malice, right. But it, but it's coming from a place that they meant well, but sometimes even meaning well, doesn't fit in your life. Right. And, and it's, but I think that boundaries are one of the hardest things on the face of the planet. It, and it's, I'm in a place where I'm wanting to make sure that I'm teaching that to my son but I really got to check myself because I don't think I'm good at boundaries. And I don't, I, I got to be honest, Vince, I know a lot of women who say the same thing. Do you feel like it's men also, and I'm just only talking to the women or do only women talk about it or is it more women? No, I think it's both, but they're, they're, it's demonstrated in different ways, right? When we're talking about social boundaries, we're talking about an infinite amount of different types of boundaries, right? We have boundaries in relationships, boundaries in intimacy. We have boundaries with knowledge that we share. We have, you know, diff- all different types of boundaries. And I think men and women experience and show boundaries in many different ways, right? Where you're saying that, you know, women more are loose boundaries and trying to, to maintain friendships, maintain. But I think on the men side, I think men put up too, too strong a boundary oftentimes too quickly, right? It's their, their self-defense to protect them. You know, me mad, me no hurt. And those boundaries come up very quickly where they're not willing to listen. They're not willing to feel. They're not willing to, as we were saying, go to the depths of understanding what this really means, what it really means to have a child, a friend, a lover on the spectrum, right? So I see, I see that boundaries are difficult for both men and women. It's just displayed a little bit differently. Nancy, are you good at boundaries? Not, not as good as I want to be. Um, Vince, how do we teach our kids how to deal with rejection? Mm-hmm. The first thing, well, depending on the type of rejection, right? I mean, anytime we're teaching rejection is understanding why it was rejected and accepting it. I think one of the things that we, we try to do is, right, we want to protect our kids and we want to, you know, stop the hurting as quickly as we can, right? I think that's every parent. But sometimes I think we might be doing a misservice if we're doing that too quickly because we want them to understand the rejection and that it hurts. And because it hurts, this is maybe why we want to be better at selecting our friends, looking at the friends, not chasing that bully, not chasing that, that, that guy or girl that, you know, really doesn't like us. And, and really, ex, you know, showing them that this is, this is a part of relationships 
that we're all experiencing. It's not you, Wyatt. It's not you, Jem. It's not you, Nancy, Shannon, Vince, right? Everybody uh, will at some point be faced with rejection and be rejected. It's why were we rejected? Let's look at it, break it apart. Why was it? Is it something that we did, something we can change, something we can do differently next time? Sometimes we do everything right and it's the other person and we say, okay, that person just didn't want me or didn't want to be my friend or didn't want to participate in my activity. And we say, it's okay to hurt. It's okay to be sad because that we thought they were friends. But once that sadness feels a little better, now we're going to look for new friends, right? Now the positive part comes in. Now we look for other people. We put, you know, look for people that want to do the same activities or want to share or want to, to love, right? So it's, again, as we were saying on Circle of Friends, it's definitely an ongoing teaching. It's not something that we can teach just off of one or two rejections. Um, because as, again, as the social complexity of the relationships change, it's going to change. But my very first thought is not trying to, to dismiss the feeling, except, you know, we want to feel the feeling and know why we're feeling the feeling. Does that make sense? That's really hard. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's great advice, Vince, but it's, it's like, I, I, I'm just picturing, it's hard, right, Nancy? Because right. to see our kids hurting. Yes. Um, I mean, I think I, I'm not going to speak for you, uh, Nancy, but I, but tell me how you feel. I, I just want to go up to the other kids and go, would it kill you to be nice? Like, yeah. Like, exactly. like I want to, that's what I want to do, but that's not fruitful. Right. Because then they'll be nice in front of you, but then what happens when you leave? Right. Oh, well, sometimes now they're not even nice in front of you. Right. They'll, they just, you know, there are some, some in this world that we're in right now, I, I long for some aspects of the time period when um, Temple Grandin's mom, uh, Eustacia Cutler, she says, you know, the thing is that it was very clear to us in the post-World War II era that we all were, we all had to band together. And that when you were in a community, everybody's kids were a part of the tribe and they came with whatever they came and everyone had to accept them. That was what we were taught in school, in work, and in our places of worship, was that everybody had a place at the table and that your kid had to be nice to everyone. They didn't necessarily have to be best friends, but they had to be polite to everyone. And now we've lost, we've gained other things. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to go, I don't want to go back to previous eras, but we have lost teaching civility to little kids to up through teenagers to just be nice to people. Um, you don't have to, you know, be best friends and trade necklaces, but be nice, be, be a human being. Right. And it's sad. Well, so many times I think in the world today, our kids don't see modeling for that, for being kind. What they're yeah. seeing, you know, particularly in the political world, which is um, the news of that is everywhere. They're seeing an uncivility. Yes. You know, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I absolutely agree. But I but I do love what you're saying, Vince, is that we have to allow them to feel their feelings. I think so often people will say, you know, stop crying, get over it, suck it up. Um, and yes, Marisol says have manners, but that comes from the home. Right. I think it's, it's got to come from all sides. Well, I was going to follow up with what Marisol was saying. Same thing, right? We are the biggest models. Our home is the biggest models of what we want our kids to look for and what we want our kids. So if we're being unkind, maybe not to our kids, but we're being unkind to others or we're letting this political you know, landscape affect us and we're yelling at the TV or we're upset or we're in the corner you know, complaining about things, right? Our kids see this, right? So we wanna make sure that we're being kind, compassionate, understanding you know, the best that we can. Doesn't mean we don't get mad from time to time, of course, but Remember, the biggest, the biggest, you know, role model that our kids have are, are us. Well, that's a very good point, Vince, and I take it very to heart because just ten minutes before this show started, I was standing in my living room yelling at the TV. So I will work on that. <laughs> uh, yes, because I was, I was like, and I may or may not have said a few swear words. Um, just saying, uh, Marisol says, but we have a big challenge: social media, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Yes, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, but you're right, Marisol, it starts at home. Unfortunately, you guys, we're totally out of time. 
Vince, we so appreciate you. And we know this is a tough topic, but we so appreciate you waiting and you gave us a lot to think about. Um, thank you for being with us. Happy Valentine's Day to you and to your lovely wife and your fabulous family. We right, appreciate right. it. Absolutely. Thank you, ladies. Love thank you, Vince. Bye-bye. And Nancy, happy Valentine's Day to you. Happy. I'm going to see you next week, okay? Happy, yes, happy Valentine's Day to you and your family, Shannon. And we wish all of our viewers a very happy Valentine's Day. Yes, we do. We'll see you next week. Until then... Give your kiddos a hug from me. And give yourselves a hug from me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.